New Dimensions Radio has been making a difference on our planet since 1973, thanks to the generosity of our listeners. You too can help make a difference with a tax-deductible donation or membership. Please visit our website, newdimensions.org, and just click the Donate button. We at New Dimensions thank you for your support. Hello, I'm Justine Willis-Toms. Today, I'm hosting Gail Story and her husband, Dr. Porter Story. She's the author of a memoir, I Promise Not to Suffer, A Fool for Love Hikes the Pacific Crest Trail, which is a memoir of their hiking that trail together. So I'd like to ask you, first of all, welcome to the New Dimensions Cafe. Thanks so much, Justine. It's wonderful to be here. Yes, thanks. I'd like to ask you, all right, you made the decision to start this trek from Mexico to Canada. And um, Gail, you don't even like to camp. (laughs) So let's start off. Somehow you've made the decision to do it. And you're in your mid-50s when you start it. And Porter's close to that with you. And there are all these young people, 20-somethings, that are trekking up the trail. So here you are, starting at the border of Mexico and the United States. So just describe those first moments of entering the trail. It was extraordinary. First of all, we knew we had to hike 23 miles in 100-degree heat to get to the first water. And so we had to carry enough water to make make it cooking and drinking water. How much would you have to carry to do that 23 miles for the two of you? Well, we started with 11 liters, which is more than we could reasonably carry. But within the first uh, couple of hours, uh, Gail sits on her pack, bursts open one of the bags, and um, we were carrying uh, a lot less water and some wet clothes. So this is really indicative, no matter how well you plan. And Porter, you're a big planner, looking for all the contingencies. And so you're going to be faced with different challenges. You know, we've been planning and getting ready for this trip for years. Um, And uh, it was really exciting to finally be there and to be um, at that big steel fence um, and to be um, starting north. That first night, a whole troop of immigrants with a boombox on their shoulder um, walks right through our uh, campsite. And we thought, oh my goodness, what are we uh, doing here? But, um, uh, you know, it, it was just one amazing adventure after another. We never knew what was around the next bend. And it both... Um, drew us closer and uh, deeper to the core of things. When you say it drew us closer and deeper, it wasn't always easy. I mean, even in your relationship, it, you, you, the subtitle, The Fool for Love Hikes, the trail, but uh, it wasn't always easy. No, it was almost never easy. <laughs> it was one challenge after another. But the thing is 
that the surprises, the surprising beauty, the landscape, and everything is constantly changing moment to moment. You would think that there would be long stretches where the landscape would be the same, but literally every time you round a switchback, there's a whole new surprise of the things that are growing, of the kinds of creatures that are out there, whether um, lizards and horned toads and rattlesnakes and all kinds of flowers and cacti. And um, it's, it's so everything, your emotions are constantly shifting. The, um, your physical environment is constantly shifting. Sometimes you're in the high desert. Sometimes you're in the high Sierra and uh, slogging up, uh, kicking steps up icy slopes in the snow. Sometimes you're fording rapids and trying not to drown, which I, I nearly drowned. And uh, so, you know, it's, it's tremendously exciting and beautiful, even with the challenges. Speaking about drowning, you do describe going across a stream that's fairly deep and very rapid. And Porter, you, you fall in. <laughs> Gail, you're watching him going downstream. What was that like? Well, they were um, some of the most dangerous parts of the trip. This particular year, 2004, was a very heavy snow year. And um, then it got warm really fast. And so there was very rapid um, snow melt. The creeks were very swollen. And uh, creeks that are normally difficult to cross became virtually impossible to cross. And um, even with a lot of... Um, respect for streams and uh, some some experience and some reading about all the things not to do when you cross a stream um, it it's very difficult and um, but you have to because otherwise it's turned back so um, we uh, tried to be smart about it and we uh, did some things right but um, it it was um, you know I tried to um, be the first one across and to encourage Gail and to carry some stuff, but I couldn't cross the stream for her. Yeah. So you fell in, and you saw him, Gail, disappear. He finally gets back. He didn't drown. He gets back up. He comes back upstream somehow through all the brush. But now you have to cross. And I remember in the writing you told Gail to unbuckle the bottom part of her pack, and, and you warned her, if you fall in, let go of your pack. But she she did fall in, and she didn't let go. of. So you, what happened there? I mean, that was scary. Because my pack was weighting me down, I just sank to the bottom of the stream underwater. And I remember my uh, sun hat floated to the surface, and so I, it was all kind of blue, first foamy, and then it was blue down there. And I, I saw my mother leaning into a troubled smile, and it was all peaceful and quiet down there. And then next thing I knew, the, it almost seemed as if the world was halved by sunlight. And Porter was reaching in and pulling me out, pack and all. So he and I, it was freezing cold, and we just kind of collapsed on the other side of the stream, and my teeth were chattering like pebbles. It was, it was just like being a waterfall of snowmelt myself. So, Porter, how was that for you when you watched Gail disappear into the stream? 
Well, my first thought was Gail. Um, and I was, um, uh, this is when adrenaline really comes into play. So I was um, quite grateful we were able to get her out and uh, uh, and all. But these were, you know, no wonder she was anxious. I mean, uh, we had to do a number of these creeks in a day uh, or get over a mountain pass before a lightning storm or um, make it to the supply stop on our last bit of food or there was, it was sort of always something and oh, uh, pressure uh, it's a, the pressure never really lets up does it it really doesn't and um you know on the one hand it's beautiful and it's just you and nature and you would think it would be sort of calm and serene but journeying uh long distances in your 50s can be um a challenge and so there's the physical impact of it, and then there's the emotional impact of it. Can you say something about that? Yes. I. It seems to me that the physical part starts to wear down and develop at the same time. And then when you, then you become more raw emotionally. And it, it, I feel that we kind of deconstructed our selves, our small conditioned selves in layers. So first the physical self began to deconstruct. Then the emotional self was very much on the surface and we had to come to new terms with our feelings and and our relationship with our feelings. And then with our psychological dimension, we had to come to terms with what was going on in, in that way. And then spiritually, we even had preconceived ideas about who we were spiritually and that went to pieces. So it, it it was really kind of a, a very unsettling, disorienting, but ultimately very transformative experience, layer by layer by layer. I can remember and relate to that a little bit. Uh, Michael and I and my son did uh, the Tuolumne River before it was all dammed up and did the rapids for two days. Very, very short. I mean, this is, but we did it in a non-rigid raft where you have one foot outside on the on the outside and one foot inside and they say just whatever you do if you fall in fall out of the raft don't fall in the raft because it's like a blanket going over rocks mm. and you could really get hurt and then of course at some point our raft gets really snagged and it just rips a hole in the bottom of the raft and so our our guides are repairing it and that's about the time, I mean, it was so hard for me, that emotional piece. And I'm looking up the sides of the canyon that we're in. And if it weren't for the, all the poison oak <laughs> that covered the sides of the canyon, I swear I would have walked out of there. And I got upset with Michael, and he didn't know how to paddle, and I wish that I was doing the lead paddle. And I just thought, man, our guides just think we're a mess as a couple. So that all kind of comes up, doesn't it? I mean, it's not love and light. Uh, it really, you know, it isn't. But I think this journey was uh, as much about our marriage as it was about hiking. And the level of trust that is required to undertake an adventure like this, especially in your 50s, we had, did have a lot of history together before then. But Porter had to trust that I wouldn't just go to pieces when there was no way out, for example, in the High Sierra for a couple of hundred miles. And I had to trust 
that whatever trouble he got us into, he could get us out of. Ultimately, though, in the bottom line of it, there is a deepening that you came out with and a love and a trust. Can you say something about that, please? Well, I was a pretty burned out hospice doctor at that point, having taken care of dying patients for almost 20 years. And uh, the six months in the woods was very restorative uh, in a way. It really put me in touch with the cycles of life and um, sort of cleaned me out and opened me up and made me more able to um, do this work again. So we really were restored by it. And yes, and, and I found that nature is fierce, but it's also permeated by love. And so it just it just seems to me that um, I, I just feel the love in other people and in Porter and in the in the world in a way I never had access to before. I just I want you to mention something. There are two words that you put together in your writing, Gail, that just sort of popped out at me when you're describing nature and when you finally came to that beautiful place of feeling that love in nature and feeling loved by nature. But you use these words, the intimate vastness. Exactly, yeah. Those words don't normally come together. Yeah, and and it's even beyond words. It's um, That is who we really are. And once we just settle into that, then that intimate vastness of, of nature, which I call awareness, is ever-present. Well, are, are there any more hiking in your future? I Good know Lord that, willing. <laughs> well, actually, you've, you've got some other nature that you've just come through because we're doing this interview right on the tail end of all the flooding in Boulder, Colorado, and you were right in the midst of that flooding. So... There again, nature unleashes itself, and now you're having to cope with that. Please say something about that. Well, I, you know, we thought it was going to be a forest fire that we were going to be worried about, and all of a sudden it was a flood. You know, you just never know what's around the corner, and it certainly um, increases your respect for um, uh, Mother Nature and uh, also. Uh, we're using it as a uh, pruning forest fire. You know, the uh, uh, forests uh, need to burn from time to time and are more beautiful when they come back. And um, so uh, we have substantially fewer possessions than we did uh, a few weeks ago, but um, uh, it's it's proving to be a... Um, you know, a worthwhile pruning. It's just not always fun to go through. No, it's not. And and it just reminds me, even those people who are not trekking from Mexico to Canada, that here it is, nature right in their own backyard. We're all experiencing that. Some more storms, more floods, more tornadoes, more heat, more forest fire, whatever it is that nature is with us more present than ever. Yes. And I think the resilience that we developed on the Pacific Crest Trail really stood us in good stead. We lost in this boulder flood our entire downstairs level of five fully furnished rooms. But we were able to stay in our house and live on our main second floor. And we were basically camping for at least a week. 
And you know how to do that now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I want to thank you both, Gail and Porter, for being with us today on the New Dimensions Cafe. Thank you so much, Justine. It's been a real joy. Many thanks. You're so welcome. I've been speaking with Gail Story and her husband, Dr. Porter's Story, and she's the author of I Promise Not to Suffer, A Fool for Love Hikes the Pacific Crest Trail, which is a memoir of their trek together. And if you'd like to know more about their story, you can go to their website, gailstory.com, and that's spelled G-A-I-L story, S-T-O-R-E-Y.com. Or you can get there through the New Dimensions website, newdimensions.org. I'm Justine Willis-Toms. I want to thank you for joining us on the New Dimensions Cafe and invite you to join us again. You've been listening to the New Dimensions Cafe. This series of shorter interviews features many of the remarkable guests also featured on our internationally syndicated one-hour New Dimensions radio series. To access more than a thousand hours of programs, to subscribe to our newsletters, or to become a member, please visit us at newdimensions.org. New Dimensions Radio has been making a difference on our planet since 1973, thanks to the generosity of our listeners. You too can help make a difference with a tax-deductible donation or membership. Please visit our website, newdimensions.org, and just click the Donate button. We at New Dimensions thank you for your support.